Welcome to the Humor in Games podcast, an analog and video games podcast about how humor is experienced, designed, and analyzed in games. We are Scott DeYoung, Mark Lajeunesse, and Andre Zanescu, and we'll be your guides in this six-episode series. Throughout each episode, we'll break down different theories and forms of humor. We'll draw on interviews with designers, critics, and academics as they discuss the different aspects of humor, their own lived experiences, and how their work utilizes humor in games. This week, we met with Dr. Pippin Barr, a game maker, educator, and critic whose various projects challenge our understandings of what games might even be. Pippin, who, who are you? Who is Pippin Barr? Uh, so let me just do a, a nice straight-faced uh, little intro. I'm Pippin Barr. I'm an assistant professor at Concordia University and the associate director of the Technoculture Art and Games Research center uh, but the main thing i usually say i do is make experimental games some of which are funny yeah perfect uh yeah to, to get to your question uh though this whole this whole thing of like what makes a game funny like as soon as uh i got your email and i started thinking about this i definitely have been developing significant anxiety around my ability to answer that question i think some of it is uh, yeah i mean it's going to be i think it's going to be interesting for you moving forward uh, with all your with all of your interviews there's a bit of a you know pornography thing of you know i know it when i see it i think that goes on uh with with humor and comedy uh and when you try and drill down it's kind of like i don't know like a cloud or something kind of like a vapor so i don't like my first pass answers that I don't actually really know, or at least I don't know that I can put it into smart sounding words. And then the next thing that I did was immediately, um, I wrote a paper with um, Claire Dorman and Robert Biddle. God knows how long ago. I've got it on my desktop. I guess I can find out when it's from, uh, but it is old. Uh, 2006. Well, goodness me. Um, called The Laughter and the Slaughter, which was a paper very specifically about humor in video games. Um, Claire Dorman was looking into humor theory, so that was the other kind of direction I was um, immediately thinking about. It's like, yeah, what is humor? I don't even think that I know beyond, you know, I laugh at some jokes, uh, which is not a sophisticated position. Uh, and so, yeah, I started looking at that and you know, it's, it's also, I mean, we can talk about that later and I know that you've got a, you, you, you had a question along those lines and perhaps you know more than I do about these things, but there are, you know, theories of what humor is and, and how humor functions. So I guess that's a, that's another way of answering that question mm-hmm. uh, and tying it to video games. What do you think humor is? How does it work in video games? Oh no, you're putting me on the spot now. Why not? Unexpected. Well, We've sort of been talking about it for a couple weeks now, and there is a lot of writing, and uh, Mark has gone through a lot more of it than I have, but mm-hmm. it, there's a lot of ways to go about it, right? You, Some people seem to think about it visually or in terms of um, positionality or in terms of the activities that are involved. Mm-hmm. It, it seems to, the wellspring seems to be so widely varied that you know, it, it's one of those things of even per- personally, you know, the, you sort of, you know it when you see it or 
this is funny and I'm not really sure why is I think a a really interesting way to go about it. So maybe to <laughs> deflect back onto you, <laughs> you know, maybe w what is sort of your brand of humor or something that things that that make you laugh that mm -hmm. don't necessarily have to be game related, I suppose. God, that seems very personal. Oh no. <laughs> um, that's it's a that's an interesting question. I mean, like, like obviously, everybody's got a a ton of different stuff that they find funny. I was thinking about this too. Yeah, like, do I have some specific kind of humor that I tune into? But I don't know. Like, I think I suspect I'm pretty conventional in terms of consuming humor. I've uh, only very recently, whether or not it's pathetic, I don't know, but only recently started um, looking at TikTok over the last uh, little while. And that's, as far as I can tell, like mostly a platform for people doing slapstick sorts of comedy. Uh, and a lot of that's pretty funny. I mean, I've, uh, I've definitely enjoyed time with TikTok and uh, people sort of singing along to songs or acting out these bizarre skits where they use the, the long face filter and the vibrato effect on their voices to have these recreations of disputes with their parents. Um, so, I mean, it's if, obviously humor is a thing that's um, constantly changing and it's like it's pretty specific to, I don't know, to specific context. So a platform like TikTok comes across very differently to curb your enthusiasm or some Hollywood blockbuster comedy movie, all of which I find funny and, and laugh at. I was looking at my own games, again, you know, trying to like do some due diligence for this thing and find out what it is that I've been doing uh, since, let me scroll down to the bottom here, 2010 apparently. Um, and one thing that I noticed, I mean, this is sort of, that's relevant, but slightly depressing is that since I think really since maybe 2017, I looked at the games and I was like, oh, yeah, I really stopped trying to be as funny. Like humor sort of was no longer the mainline point of the stuff I was making from about 2017, maybe earlier. I don't know. It's, and then it, it, this is the thing that got me into, maybe it's 2016. God. Um, this is the thing that then got me into thinking, yeah, to thinking more about what is it about humor, and maybe the distinction between humor and comedy as well. Um, yeah. In my earlier stuff, I'll just talk about myself and try not to feel weird about it. A lot of the point was comedy, like presenting games that maybe were primarily about like this is a funny situation that you find yourself in that kind of thing an yeah. airplane crash or you're you know god trying to deal with this humanity not that an, you know an airplane crash isn't inherently funny but um being helpless in the face of an airplane crash as a video game player is uh, is an interesting position to be in and i think over time what i've always been interested in really really below any sense of comedy is about creating video games that are incongruous in some way um, in the context of whatever. There's not, there's not really any such thing as standard or totally conventional video games anymore. But to the extent that you can still imagine a kind of platonic video game that is, you know, multiplayer, fair and balanced, 
it's about combat, you know, who shoots who, et cetera. And yeah. It's, it's a straw, it's a straw person, but nonetheless, you know, it still kind of, uh, functions. I've always been interested in creating video games that were in some kind of weird opposition to that. And yeah. so to, to a large extent, I think that the idea of humor or comedy for me has generally, it's, there is a, there is a specific theory of humor, right? Which is the incongruity theory of humor. I sound educated, but like I only just read, uh, read this this morning from that paper from 2006, maybe outdated by now. Um, that idea that you laugh at things or you find things funny because they're not what you expect or they're like kind of the wrong thing at the wrong, at the wrong moment, uh, those sorts of things. And I think a lot of the kinds of stuff that I've done in my games, not all of them, I've tried to make a couple of legitimately serious games that have no obvious room for humor. But a lot of what ends up happening is that I make a game that diverges from what you should sort of should do according to game design principles or conventions and that in itself ends up being kind of funny at, at the very least to me because i mean i find it funny to do this kind of work um but also to at least some players um it just, just because it doesn't match expectations yeah well it's funny that you mention but that you've been going through them with a fresh eye because i i feel sort of a, a bit in the same way. Uh, I, I feel like we maybe have talked about this in the past, but I, when I started studying games, the first games that they had us play were your Greek Punishment series, <laughs> which seemed more frustrating to me at the time, but replaying them now, sort of the, the UI version especially, uh, <laughs> just made me chuckle because they're, they just seem to be sort of they're incongruous in ways that I would not expect. Like the, the, the presentation can be incongruous or the game goals. Mm -hmm. um, and I know if, if Mark wants to, to chime in or I, I can go with this. Um, I think you're on your own. The, the Artist is Present is also a, a game that I think may be intentionally or unintentionally humorous in <laughs> much the same way. Um, especially the going through the, the sort of the pixelated world and maybe we should when when we have a final edit of this we should footnote with the actual the the game about marina baramovich's art exhibit at the met um famous uh, has a documentary i think uh on it's online i don't know where it is but <laughs> sort of the, the experience of having the this very intimate face-to-face -face experience but then you're the person looking back at you is a uh, 16 or 32 bit sprite uh, seems hilarious to me. And so I mean, you've sort of verged on uh, the question that we had later, you know, how do you approach making a game funny? And it seems, it, it seems like you're, you're very obviously thinking about it, but also that it may not always be the primary goal of of the game that you're making. I, I don't know if that um, yeah if that I tracks mean, with the way you feel. It that, that tracks. I, I think that those were some those are some good words. I think like the, a thing that I was thinking about. Um, I guess it was yesterday. With a lot of these games, and the artist is present. You know, although I hate the fact that it is you know remains the emblematic game that I made when it was <laughs> uh, 2011, which is depressing. Um, it's a good example in that 
I think a lot of what I end up doing is the initial idea for any of my games tends to be mostly, not always, but mostly really stupid. Like it's just, it's a bad idea in, in some, you know, in, in some sense, in the sense of a game, like a game about going to a museum and waiting in a queue and sitting in a chair is, is a bad idea um, in a conventional sense. But then what I've often then tried to do is go and sort of very earnestly follow it through pretty deeply and to, to, to kind of, I guess, to go all the way with that and not just think of it, but to execute. And so that basic comedy of, you know, part of the comedy is, I guess, is literally the idea that somebody made this and somebody spent all of this time, you know, elaborately constructing this really stupid experience that's not, not fun and like is not interesting or, or whatever. Um, but it, so it sort of starts as a bad idea, but then I, as, as is usually the case, I guess, when you make anything or when you do research or whatever, um, if you pursue something in enough depth and with enough commitment, you usually end up finding out that it's, you know, that it has the depth that you're, that you're exploring and that it is an interesting thing to do. So the artist is present started as like, a, I will, you know, aggressively make a, a game that nobody will enjoy but to me turned out to be, you know, a very interesting exploration of, you know, things that video games are good at, things that they're limited at, such as, you know, having a, a deep emotional connection with uh, a non-existent other, like it tends to, well, I mean, people who play things like Mass Effect and Dragon Age may disagree, but in my opinion, it's not a thing that games are great at. And so this is the perfect, like, sort of quintessential pure example of that idea yeah. uh, in, in video game form. And so it's, yeah, like I think that a lot of the comedy comes in really, really executing and like going all the way into the idea, not just having that initial, maybe not very good idea. So to, to build on that a little bit, um, and also to move into games that have happened since the artist is present one. Hey, wonderful. Because there is a two, which there is a two. Uh, conceptually might be interesting because it is, sort of like revisiting your prior work and and so mm -hmm. I'm, on the one hand i'm curious how that works uh, if if the if it's funnier because it is a re-exploration or if it's more uh a mm -hmm. reflection on what the first one um brought up for you but also on a much more abstract scale um you've been doing a multiple series on chess uh -huh. and chess with strange rules which I suppose people listening to this might not imagine as humorous, but it can be. And so I'm, um, do, do you feel like the chess series also started from this idea <laughs> of, I'm going to take a very bad <laughs> idea and that's, earnestly yeah, that's, apply it to the maximum? That's a fair question. It's, I mean, it's a little hurtful, but it's, it's fine. <laughs> um, I, I personally really like them and i think they're hilarious <laughs> but i'm just using your words of course you are um yes and you're using them to help me um <laughs> so the chesses series no like i don't i honestly don't think i'm looking at the initial set which was i actually like the i think an interesting thing about the chesses series maybe is that i didn't I mean, they are, they, are, they are a bad idea in some sense because almost none of them are playable in an interesting way. Um, Gravity, really, that whole series really started with Gravity Chess, um, 
which is a chest that's kind of rotated sideways and the pieces fall downwards when you make moves. Um, which it's not super playable. It's more playable than you than you might expect. And like one of the things that I've been interested in, I guess maybe a bit more recently, is that I'm not not a good game designer in a in a traditional sense of making a game that's fun to play for more than two to three minutes or less if you uh, if you go by the statistics on my um, analytics. Um, but I was interested in that idea of like, yeah, of exploring a really pure form of game design. I think we're going to like, we're going to end up off track uh, in terms of humor. So I like, I guess I would say I didn't think that they were especially funny. The one that the, one of those that captured people's imaginations the most, well, gravity chess was one and the, uh, the other was the fog of war version in, um, the sequel chess is too good name. Um, both of which I guess they play on this kind of uh, incongruity thing again, right? Like there's at least, at the very least, there's this moment and it really plays into the whole animated gifification of indie games, especially in Twitter, where you have to communicate like how amazing your game is in a looping gif. And often that's all that people will perceive about your game at all. Both the gravity chest, because there's the moment where you make the, the first move and the piece falls down. Um, that's literally like a you know Looney Tunes thing with Wiley e. Coyote or something falling off a cliff. Yeah. Um, and and Fog of War, where you suddenly realize that you know it, it's taken one of the rules from something like Civilization and applied it to chess. Um, but people actually found that semi exciting, which is nice as well. Like that wasn't just laughable. That was like, oh, actually, maybe this is kind of cool. So that was nice for me. Um, but a lot of them, obviously, they they very heavily trade on the the idea that chess is a very known quantity. Um, and although chess itself has tons of variations dating back, um, you know, decades and decades, because people have been fiddling with it. Uh, for most people who don't play much chess, they a they don't know that, and and b they don't really get the chance to see that kind of thing. So any instance of seeing chess which seems kind of untouchable behaving in a different way uh, to what you might expect. It's again, it's sort of lightly funny, um, yeah. not hilarious. Like, I don't think that those are like my funniest games or anything, but, um, but there's just something funny to, to seeing something not do what you would expect. Well, I, I think that's a, that's actually much more on the mark with humor than uh, everyone might think, because I find myself very often not outright laughing at mechanics uh, hilarity for me or, or drop you know drop on the floor laughter is so rare but very <laughs> often i'll have like a small chuckle or you know you're you're playing by yourself and you're smiling at the game because it is there is something humorous mm -hmm. and I, I find it's very interesting to me that certain certain types of games might have jokes that are meant to make you laugh a lot at one instance and other games might be sort of uh, suffused, peppered with this sort of lower intensity humor that is <laughs> active at all times. I, I personally found Gravity Chess to be hilarious, and I tried to show it to my dad, who's an avid chess and backgammon player, mm. and he just started laughing, and his exact words to me were, no one would play chess like that. <laughs> which evidently no i don't think that's the point <laughs> but I, there is something contextual in the humor that it made me laugh because of I, I think sort of thinking about video games 
combined with chess and for him who is not thinking he's just looking at it like a traditional chess mm -hmm. just did not really work for him mm, right? in a funny way yeah yeah yeah, so, yeah i think that's that that's very fair yeah and like i think a great thing well a thing that i've always been interested in and it certainly it does speak to humor as well as other things is trying to make games that are accessible to people outside the you know the really hardcore i know about video games i test all my games with my parents which in itself is a piece of comedy um <laughs> but yeah it's great that your dad can at least get access to you know the basic the basic one-liner of the you know this is this is ridiculous yeah so i mean do you ever feel uh when you're when you're designing all your games um i know you heavily document or at least you you more than I do when I'm making things, <laughs> you're taking um, sort of production notes, right? Each of your games sort of has a... Yeah, it tons, actually. Yeah, the, the most recent game is like 10,000 words of... Well, maybe, no, it's probably closer to 20,000 words of writing about it as I go, yeah. It's, it's intense. So do you ever feel like you're, you hit a threshold um, in humor, but also sort of in the objectives that you've set up where... Hmm. You know, you're writing in your notes and you're thinking, okay, I this game is now, the core concept is where I want it to be at, the, or the humorous aspect is where I want it to be at. Or is it just sort of a freeform process and it, it ends up where it ends up for you? That's a, that's a really interesting question. Um, off the top of my head, what do I think about that? Um, I think with most, is this going to be true? With most of most of the stuff that I make, I have a pretty I usually have a pretty clear idea of what it's meant to be early on. Um, just because most of the most of the games I make, I've, they're sort of simple out of necessity because I'm making them on my own and I'm not um, not elite programmer. I'm just like a programmer and I don't really make you know can't do amazing graphics, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, so the scale being small is important practically. Um, but also, I think smaller scale work lends itself. I mean, if I'm being highfalutin, I would say that most of the, the stuff that I'm making certainly can involve humor, but most of what I'm trying to push for is thoughtfulness about game design on the part of the player. Like, a lot of it's pretty... It's it's kind of navel-gazy, right? But it's most of the stuff is about game design itself uh, in some capacity. Um, and yeah. so because each game has that as its as its core kind of question, um, they're kind of saturated in some sense almost immediately in making the game is, is somewhat about finding out, like, well, how do I achieve, yeah, how do I achieve this thing? Um, and because I don't work on them for very long until I had a child and now the games take forever to produce. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, um, it's, it's not a sort of a cumulative thing where I'm like, oh, now I think it's, it's finished. It's like, I know what it needs to be. And yeah, at, at, at a certain point I just release it cause I can't be bothered uh, working on it anymore. Yeah. That's not a great answer. Yeah. But no, I, yeah. I think it, it's a fair answer. It doesn't have to be. It is fair, yeah, and I promised myself that I would just be honest. <laughs> um, I mean, sort of maybe a riff on that question and the incongruity talk that we were having earlier. I'm curious, you know, these games have 
obviously a sort of a central vector for you. There's something that you're thinking about or you're trying to express with them. Mm -hmm. Do you ever feel like the incongruity that arises out of that, the entire mix of the game sort of overrides your initial design intention? Oh, well, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I'm gonna. I mean, I don't know because to some extent that's that's really a function of the player's experience and whether you know whether they get it in the way that I sort of thought that they would get it. So, I guess it's true that that's bound to happen. Um, I, but that, that that really speaks to, I guess, yeah, the other thing that I think is really important or interesting potentially about both about humor in games and any kind of communication in games, like any any time that a game is trying to tell you something, whether it's a joke or a, you know a serious heartbreaking story or something, is that idea that it's kind of a shared thing between. I mean, sort of not completely between designer and player because you know, you're speaking through the, the incredibly imperfect instrument of the game. But I've always tried to think about making work as a, sh a sharing kind of experience between me and a notional player. It's kind of weird too because I then often have spoken in the past and still kind of feel like I don't really care um, a, a lot about the reception of a game until, especially once I get tenure, hopefully, uh, <laughs> next year. But at the same time, uh, it, that's, that's sort of my design philosophy is, is around that. It's about the, this idea that the, the game isn't meant to tell you what it's about or like, you know, like instruct you or boss you around um, and it's not at least it's not meant to be totally opaque either although I suspect a lot of my stuff ends up being kind of opaque um, in part because I don't you know I don't play tests and I don't really talk to, to people about what I'm doing <laughs> um, but the, there's that middle ground which is that it's meant to be kind of a shared joke right like gravity chess it's like somebody ideally somebody's telling you a joke but you're kind of in on it and that part of the work that's being done is by the player kind of to to be in on the joke and to enjoy it not to have a joke kind of sprung on them or forced on them yeah um i think that that's super important and i think that that's also true of the sort of the more formal objective of of my stuff which is i want to make especially lately i've been very interested in making games that are about game design and so correspondingly i guess what i'm interested in is players getting this opportunity potentially to sort of think about game design while they play a game. Um, and maybe the humor does uh, end up overriding some of that because they just sort of, you know, they have the laugh or whatever, like your dad, right? You have a laugh, but you don't really think about any implications of, you know, what if the pieces did fall down? Like, why is that bad game design? Or what could happen, you know? If you just laugh and move on, then, then that conversation doesn't happen. So it could be that it deflects um, more serious thoughts sometimes. Yeah. This is super interesting because you mentioned thinking about yourself as a notional player in the design process. So I'm I'm imagining mm. you're you're making the game thinking if I was a player how would this game look to me? And now making games for players that look like that are about your process your interior process of mm -hmm. thinking about design. We had a a more a general question, but you can tie this to your own work. And I'm sure, I will. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you feel like um, live streaming, or I suppose a 
maybe a, a better way to think about this is a secondary audience has hmm. changed the way that your games are, are being received or that the humor is being communicated. So for instance, if I were playing your game on a live streaming platform for another audience to view it, or if I'm showing it in a class, do you feel like that changes what you what you wanted the game to be? Yeah, it's it's super interesting. And I saw that question at the at the end of that list that you sent ahead of time and was sort of both struck with fear because it's not um it's not, it's not an area that I know a lot about. I've watched a little bit of um Twitch Twitch stuff, but like I I've never gotten into it in a way that I would say that I really understand the culture or totally what's going on with it. Um, but um, I do think it's a really interesting larger phenomenon to sort of not, you know, not shockingly not talk about myself for a second. It's that idea of games um, as, you know, as performative, that they're a thing that you can kind of use as an instrument for some purpose uh, for other people. I guess often, like I don't know. Again, I don't know what the what that world looks like, but I assume at least often for for comedic effect. Like, I mean, I know you know people play horror games, and it's all about how hilarious their their terrified reactions are, or uh, things like that. I guess my my touchstone for this actually would probably be um, Kaiser Mario, which I I have watched a large number of playthroughs of. Um, most obviously, there's the there's the you're familiar with Kaiser Mario, right? Maybe so we could gloss it, I guess, right? That 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 it's a it's a a version of I think it's Super Mario Brothers uh, that has been it's levels designed for Super Mario Brothers that are insanely difficult. Um, that's kind of their primary objective. They're very very hard, uh, and the story being that they were designed by a whatever a master Super Mario level designer for their friend uh, who was extremely good at the game. Um, and so they can accomplish all kinds of things with their little Mario that the average human uh, barely understands. Um, so the the sort of the core premise is that it's this, it's this very difficult Mario experience, which you're watching, uh, and you're watching a virtuoso navigate it and work out uh, how to to conquer the various challenges. But I guess it's in the nature of Mario to some to some extent for any player, but especially in this context, it's all kind of slapstick as well. Like there's lots of Obviously, you see this expert player fail constantly because the game is just so insanely difficult. Um, from you know hid, hidden invisible blocks where they try and they manage to execute some like wonderful leap off a cliff, bounce off a Goomba's head, but then there's an invisible block placed perfectly which just catapults them down off the bottom of the screen, and it's you know it's just funny. Um, maybe yeah. especially because they're so good, right? That's uh, like seeing a super, super duper athlete trip over a banana skin or something while they're about to score a touchdown or whatever, uh, whatever yeah. kind of metaphor we want there. Um, so definitely, I, I, I definitely get that idea of using games as a way of delivering, delivering comedy, whether or not the game itself is designed for comedy. Um, and it's you know, just as clear from something like Kaiser Mario that you can design the game towards comedy for performance specifically. Um, yeah. Returning, of course, to myself, um, it's not something that I've um, I've really ever thought about, except when I got kind of <laughs> vaguely irked when Robert Yang, and he still talks about this actually, Robert Yang, the the queer game designer, gay game designer, really. Um, 
talked about this idea that his games didn't need to be played um, to kind of work, that they all had this core concept, usually at least in some way pretty funny. Uh, he's a pretty funny guy. Um, but that you didn't need to play them. Um, and so it was almost like a total refinement of this idea of all you needed to do was watch like a, an animated GIF or even simulate the idea of the game in your head and that that performance was was sufficient. And I that always bugged me. Like I've always felt like you should you should actually, that the experience of play matters. Um, I can't necessarily articulate why. And he's probably smarter than me, so maybe he's right. Um, but like, yeah, there's there's that idea that, you know, Maybe you do have to play the game, and but 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 perhaps that the game can be played for you and you can watch is is an interesting thing. I guess yeah. I feel like yeah, I guess it could be interesting. I don't know. Like I've never watched anybody play one of my games really with any with any seriousness because it's too nerve wracking. Um, <laughs> but I could imagine it. You could you could you could play them in a funny way or something. Like uh, it makes sense to me. I don't know if anybody has. Well, thinking about. The way that you're thinking about it, one of the really interesting parts for me is we've been talking a lot about incongruity, and I'm sure we'll get to maybe a bit more theory in a little bit, but the games are funny because they're incongruous or, or they defy expectations, or to me, Let's Play Greek Punishment did that in so many ways mm -hmm. because the game is the games are meant to be unwinnable, but there's every time you've, re you've released a new version, I've always tried to see if... <laughs> There is one. There oh, is a the way to. Um, but we we played them the first time we played them in an undergraduate class, mm -hmm. and so there was a lot of humor to me, or it was very funny to see people in the class trying to win after you realize that that's not the purpose of the game and getting frustrated. Mm -hmm. And so there's maybe maybe there's uh, an emergent aspect of superiority theory. Where right. Oh, you're well, you're sure. laughing at the other right. players because they haven't gotten the joke yet, and that's mm. a a secondhand joke. I don't know. That's a mean joke. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> mean undergrads. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. It totally makes sense to me. It's not. It's definitely again, like I said, because I don't really, um, I don't really test games, and I don't really pay a lot of attention to people people's play. So stupid. Like I really need to get into this stuff now. As I say it, I just think, what a dick. Like get it. <laughs> but um yeah, like I don't think about those sort of second level social aspects, I guess, of play. Um and for whether because I'm kind of hermity or like antisocial or whatever. But yeah, it didn't it doesn't even didn't even occur to me that 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 would be a kind of emergent property of a game is that you can kind of it's like the Penn and Teller, was it smoke and mirrors games or whatever they were called with games that you kind of inflicted on your friends because you knew the secret about them like desert bus was one of these yeah but but your friend didn't know and so you'd watch them and kind of laugh at them like behind <laughs> or whatever as they you know attempted to do the impossible um i guess the only thing for me and like the thing that it doesn't bug me but like those games they're they're based on these ancient greek myths about eternal punishment and always it always vaguely surprised me that anybody um thought that you would be able to win them <laughs> Like it's just like, you know, that would be ahistorical. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we, it, it's sort of the, you know, does the, does the package, the game package, or the idea yeah. that it has to be a game override the content? 
right? Or, or vice yeah, versa. I mean, of which... course, uh, being facetious, but yeah. yeah that, oh. And I think that, you know, it's that tension that is, you know, that's where the comedy uh, kind of comes out of, right? Yeah. I mean, so we've been talking a lot about the games that, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking for my co-researchers because we've talked about this, but the games that we thought were funny when we played them or mm. games that are humorous out, out of your catalog. Or, do you agree with that? Because you did mention being a bit irked by people mentioning <laughs> the artist is present a lot. Oh, no. I mean, that's that's totally funny. Like, that's the original. Um, in many ways, I would say that's kind of the original game where I was like, oh, that would be funny. Um, to make that game there's not many games i was looking through my list actually just sort of trying to find like you know where are the, the very serious games um and there's not many i like i mean there's there's like i've tried and it's difficult and like maybe it's just because i've built such a, a you know a brand around not taking things seriously but um a series of gunshots uh which was a game i made about um sort of gun violence in games like as you know i Definitely, definitely didn't make that one for the laughs. Like, it's meant to be incredibly stark. And, and indeed, the entire point of that game in some ways was about stripping away any, any kind of feedback that you could get any juice out of um, to a point where it was literally just this really depressing um, experience of unseen violence. Oh, it's, it's really dark. Like, it, I think it's really successfully a, a very dark game. But that's, you know... Um, and there's a couple of other things where I've, I've uh, the VR games, like the Water Museum, but even that is kind of like, again, it's kind of incongruous. So there is a bit of comedy there. I didn't make it as a comedy game. I made it um, the, the Water Museum because it's interesting. Um, but, you know, then also just some of the things I'm interested in are kind of laughable. Do you, do you want to talk about the Water Museum for a second? Uh, well, so one of the funny things about the Water Museum, actually, um, I'm sure it is. so it's the, the premise for all of our listeners, our hundreds and nay thousands of listeners who uh, have not played um, VR3, uh, which you can play on my website, uh, is that it's this museum, virtual museum of water. Um, the water is all inside these little museum-y plinths. Um, and you kind of walk amongst them and, and you can just look at the water. I mean, that's, that is funny, I guess. Like, it, it didn't occur to me particularly that was a, a particularly funny thing, but it is kind of funny. Um, and so the, yeah, the core premise is to look at water for its own sake. Like, it, the serious version of this is that water in video games is this quite beautiful technical accomplishment. There's different kinds and that we rarely really stop to look at it in, in games and think about it in its own, you know, just for itself, um, rather than as some kind of like part of gameplay uh, or just something that we have to traverse or something like that. So that was, that was yeah. the serious version. In reality, um, there's a kind of cumulative like madness, I, I guess, that, that comes in just looking at a whole bunch of different waters. Um, and the game itself is kind of taking itself so seriously that I guess that, that that's also kind of silly. But when I was making it, it was particularly amazing um, because I was kind of like the gallery technician uh, for this virtual museum, and I had to like get the water into the plinths. Uh, and that was super difficult. Like it's this, it's this thing that should have been, I, would have, I assumed it would be really easy. I thought this game was going to take a, like a, a few days, and it took months. Um, hugely because the water was so ridiculously hard to 
get to cooperate. Like some of it, you would you'd have this nice water and you put it in the plinth, and then it would just go flat and it wouldn't do anything. That was a classic thing. So it was like I could leave it like that, obviously, because that's the you know whatever that's the underlying truth of this water is that when you put it in the plinth, it's flat. But I wanted it to look like it, it looked earlier. Uh, and then some of the other water just went out of control. It flooded the gallery at one point. It kind of like wouldn't stay in the plinth, so it just went out to the horizon. Uh, and this is kind of post-apocalyptic flood thing. Uh, and then another one became aggressively spiky, and it was quite scary to look at. There's all kinds of stuff that happened, um, none of which is in the game. It would be interesting to make a sequel that was sort of more about that. Um, but just the misbehavior of... Um, of water technology uh it was kind of private to me right because i was the only one witnessing it um, i put a few gifts up on twitter i think but yeah that was funny like i think um technology yeah and it's incongruity again right it's like technology not doing what you expect um is pretty funny uh so long as you're not enraged and trying to finish a game at which point it stopped it really stopped being funny a few times uh but i was able to i was able to laugh a couple of times at least so i mean Maybe to wrap to wrap back to what we were talking about earlier, the water museum is very interesting to me because the way you're talking about it, it is very much about view viewing. It's how you see the water. It's very textural. It's visual, and the way you expect it to behave and it might not be the way that it does behave. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious. I'm 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 stuck on the comment you made earlier about games not needing to be played necessarily mm -hmm. or maybe we can we can talk a little bit more about why it would be important to to play this to, to get that experience mm. as opposed to to just yeah. viewing or or I, I suppose the, the sub question is you know why does play matter to, to you jesus yeah sorry this is a big <laughs> question but uh well i mean that maybe that's maybe that's a good example um so yeah, so Robert, I, mean, I don't want to like, I'm sure many other people agree with Robert Yang and he's not like the only uh, person who thinks this, I this idea that at least some conceptual games, which I think is arguably what I make as well. If anything, I would say that the stuff that I make is way more kind of ends up being more conceptual and airy than, um, than Robert's stuff, which is um, so technically beautiful and kind of accomplished. Um, but anyway. Um, with VR three, I think that the thing is you could so you could clearly just say that you made a museum of water and have a couple of screenshots of a room with with water and plinths, and people would be like, oh yeah, okay, well that's you know that's a thing, and I guess I get that that's interesting because you you would go in hypothetically and look at the water, and maybe that would you know you could whatever look at water for a while, and then you'd be finished, and I get it. Um, but like I think, and this is I, I think I was sort of talking about this earlier. This this whole thing of like really following through on an idea, like part of that I think maybe applies to to play as well. Like I mean, you have to be a, at least a little bit accountable as a player and um, and kind of commit to what you're doing, or you can't expect to have an interesting um, experience or to really get much depth out of a game. Like, and I do this all the time with games. Like, you know, I don't really engage enough to to enjoy them. And that's, yeah. I don't know, I kind of feel like that's my fault. I think there's a, there's a tendency to blame the game or the, the designers or the graphics or whatever. Um, and to say, you know, that's why you didn't 
um, and have an interesting experience with something. But a lot of the time it's, it's on us as players as well. Maybe Death Stranding. I'm feeling guilty about Death Stranding. <laughs> um, but however, uh, let's, let's not go into that. Um, but with VR3, I mean, the, to, to return to the specific example, one of the things that I think really emerges both from, for me in making and sort of following through on that idea of exhibiting water, exhibiting different kinds of water, and for a, a player of the game is that as you do literally play it and why play matters, uh, at least in that specific context, is that a lot of what's interesting in that game is comparison and building up a kind of whether it's explicit or not, a, a language about the water and an understanding of how water works technically, what it might look like, what are some commonalities between different waters, why certain waters look the way they look. Like one of the biggest things that comes up for me whenever I replay that game is how shitty some of the water is. Um, especially like the water that's trying i guess it's trying to be from like a jrpg game or something it's really flat it's just like caustics moving around um and then in particular one of the important things uh, about the game is that some of the water wasn't free so the early water that gets displayed is free and then the later water is more and more expensive and so you get this whole thing of like you know that's funny is but like that's literally one of the funniest things about the game is how terrible the most expensive water looks or like, why is this like really basic looking flat water so expensive? And it turns out it's sort of because it's optimized for mobile devices and you can work that out by reading the plinth. So there's, there's a, I guess there's a lot of detail and there's a lot of work to be done. And this is like, this is starting to expand into the entire argument about contemporary art, especially, right? Or any art that's not just about aesthetics, visual aesthetics, um, is that you, you know, you have to do work. Like the audience has to do work and a good game or a good piece of art is, you know, making that, that work available to them um, and just hopefully that it's rewarding to do it because there's, there's something to get on the other end. And I guess when you make a game, you, and probably when you paint a painting or whatever it is that, um, that you do, you're putting, you're, I guess you're putting all of that stuff in and hopefully you can kind of detect that that stuff's going in as you realize, you know, like you buy the crappy water and you're like, this is really crappy. That's bizarre to me. I'm definitely going to include it because that's an interesting thing about water in video games. And then I guess you just hope that the people who play the, play the game get there as well. Yeah. I think that's super interesting because in some sense, it really is about humor to me can come out of that sort of audience work or mm -hmm. you know sort of filling in the blanks and it can happen i think with written text and it happens one way or if you're a live performance it happens another or in a film mm -hmm. then maybe play is just the the way that is specific to games i i i'm sort of allergic mm -hmm. to the argument that games are somehow better than other forms of media i just think they're different but yeah, they, they seem distinct, I agree. Better is like, it's a bit of a, a pointless argument. But yeah, just yeah. They, there is a special thing that you're doing in games that you're clearly not doing in, a, in other media. And I, presumably that leads to some kind of slightly different experience of humor as well. Yeah. So to, to diverge away from this discussion that has been <laughs> wonderful, but we, we did mention that we were going to talk a little bit about theory. Oh, yeah, sure. And, and that piece. Well, I mean, so 
you've mentioned we've talked a lot about incongruity theory, right? So the, the idea that things are funny because they don't match up to expectations mm -hmm. or because they're weird and in context they don't fit. But is that generally the sort of if you have a theoretical inclination of the kind of humor that you like in games or mm. do you I mean, include I've... other forms? I mean, I don't include any theory uh, when I make stuff. I think if I'm reviewing the history of stuff that I've done, it seems like the best fit. Like when I reread the Laughter in the Slaughter paper yeah. um, this morning, um, it occurred to me just as well that the incongruity thing almost feels like it's the only one that's sort of that you can operationalize. I, I guess as you know, as somebody who thinks sort of primarily in the form of design and development of game-like stuff I want, i'm looking for stuff that you can actually do whereas both relief uh, humor and gosh the other one which is about being a dick which i can't remember the name superiority <laughs> superiority humor like <laughs> neither of them feel sort of like they, they they felt a bit kind of vague to me and they were more about the social function of humor rather than just like what's funny um yeah. So, yeah, so I find those ones a little bit more, like, probably you can, I could apply those ideas to, to some of my work, although maybe there's such an absence a lot of the time uh, of actual people or characters. Um, but, you know, like, maybe superiority humor could be applied to um, the ancient Greek punishment series, right, to the extent that it's, it's a real punching down on Sisyphus and Prometheus and so forth, except that you're them, so you're kind of the subject of the superiority humor or something. Um, but maybe that's funny to be put in that position because it's incongruous or I don't know. Um, so I, I struggle with the other, the other, the other theory. Yeah. And on, on the point of the bug, I remember you have a piece um, with uh, Rilla and uh, Jonathan, I think about hmm. Which hot and oh, cold, we... the hot and cold uh, design sort of uh discussion and i think oh, there's yeah, yeah, sure. a, a piece of it where you're talking about things that sort of unexpectedly ar arise just in the making process mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. things that you decide now have to now have to stay like they were mm -hmm. unexpected they weren't intended but in, in this sort of computational vein right they're Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, that's sort of, it's almost like the computer tells you a joke and then you steal it or something like that. <laughs> yeah. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that completely makes sense to me. I mean, I guess you, as a developer, want to vaguely think like you're constantly in control of what happens, but it's, it's very true that you are, that you are not. Uh, and that, yeah, if you can, I don't know, it's just, yeah, it's often hard for me, I think, to tell. So a lot of things that happen when you're developing a game, and like I, I would need to read more about this computational humor stuff to, to have better language, but certainly a lot of the stuff that happens is funny to me as a developer who, you know, I guess, again, I know what was meant to happen and the computer did something else. Haha. -ha. It's a little harder to know when, I guess, you can include that for the enjoyment of a player. Um, like, yeah, when does it cross that line into something that's, accessible to people who maybe you know aren't programmers and therefore maybe aren't gonna aren't gonna understand what's funny about an infinite loop or or something along those lines like like one example actually is that in the ancient greek punishment games at some point i realized i didn't have an option to escape to the menu which is like a normal thing that you would implement and then kept it right because it's like yeah why would you be able to like escape to the menu of infinite punishments 
Um, so yeah, so stuff does design itself um, in that case through a mission, a mission, I guess, right? Yeah, that's great. Oh my god, I I feel I I, I suppose we're we're reaching the maybe the one hour mark, so I don't want to keep you much longer. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I also want to thank you because. This is sort of this might be things that are very difficult to verbalize. I'm sort of asking we're we're asking you to explain the joke for <laughs> most of your design process. So I guess the sort of the wrap-up question is is there something that you would have wanted to talk about or a question you wish we would have asked you that we didn't? Or something yeah, that you want to talk about now? It's 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 always the appropriate final question. Um I actually think that you got pretty good coverage there. Let me just have a, a quick look at this list of stuff. Fun games, fun games, ha ha ha. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, the, the, you did have that question, which I thought was, um, you know, perceptive, or at least, you know, it's interesting, and maybe it's, it might be too big of a subject, but it is interesting that that, that question of whether humor has a cost. And I guess we, we yeah. did... Um, we did get to that a little bit in talking about like maybe it allows you know people to kind of deflect away from from some kind of deep whatever deeper truth that the game is trying to explore. Um, I made a game called Jostle Parent as an just by way of an example, which was it's it was meant to be. It's really hard. Like I guess this is maybe this is the whole thing um, about humor in games is stupid players and um, you know the idea kind of impulse where people just kind of do whatever within the game system to see what happens without any sense of consequence and often finding what happens funny just because you know it's it's their it's their exploration of a possibility space and jostle parent in theory was meant to be quite a quite a serious i don't know like kind of a serious simulation of parenting in a sort of atari style world where you can only it was meant to be tragically funny, I guess. You you can only push your children around um, and try and get them whatever dressed and fed in the morning, and then you need to mow the lawn, but etc. But the the whole thing about the game was that the children could die, which was meant to be sad. Um, and no, it's it's tricky because I know that it is at some level I know it's funny, um, but I was fighting against that, and maybe that's part of the the tension of the game and maybe it's more funny because I was trying to um, dissolve the comedy a little bit. So they die um, in very unfortunate ways, like being elected in ways that I think I actually picked the top five ways that children um, really die, which is pretty dark. Um, and maybe that's why I was taking it more seriously. Um, so they can die by being electrocuted or uh, eating poison oh in the garden or choking <laughs> on food or crossing the road. They can be hit by a car and they really die. So the whole point of the game and something I was interested in playing with at the time was sort of permanence and not being able to indulge that that kind of impulse to just be freewheeling that players have. So maybe you do it in the beginning, but then your child gets electrocuted. Um, the game announces that they're dead. It cuts to a scene at their graveside um, where you and the remaining children kind of stand there for a bit and then you go home and then you kind of begin the day again, trying not to let your remaining two children um, die. If they all die, which it's, it, it is a pretty hard game, so it's likely, then you just begin the day again, except you have no children. Um, oh and nothing to do with it is. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty dark. Uh, now that I have a child, I, don't know, I, still, I still stand behind it. I think it's, pretty, it's an interesting experience. Um, but yeah, there's this whole thing of, right, like 
there is a slapsticky comedy to it. There's the incongruity of, you know, even representing children dying in video games is not super common. Um, and so maybe I, potentially even for most players, it comes across as just like, haha, let's see all the different ways you can kill the kids. And they don't care and they don't get any of the resonance around it being a tragedy. Um, yeah. So maybe yeah, comedy and tragedy. Like I like comedy because I think it adds a lightness that makes games more accessible and makes people more likely to engage with them. But then if you're trying to do some other thing just slightly below that surface or adjacent to it, uh, maybe the comedy tends to win out just because of the nature of, uh, of play. Yeah. Well, it's, it's super interesting too because this is such a... It, it can be a, a very uh, sensitive subject matter, right? And so adding the joke or adding you know, the Atari aesthetic, which might be considered humorous, or the gameplay elements. Mm. I think if you're trying to take the game seriously, maybe they make the game more palatable, like a, a very difficult topic. Could a be, bit more. yeah. Or, or it's not a yeah. David Cage-style exploration of your child's uh, death or something. Yeah, or on, on the other hand, yeah, it can also lead to... I. One of the most recurring discussions about this kind of stuff is when people play The Sims and would just mm -hmm. uh, leave their Sims in the pool uh, is sort Classic. of the, the same kind of humor, I suppose. And yeah, it seems related, yeah. Yeah. I, maybe it all comes down to whether or not people are, feel like they're in a position of superiority, right? Because that's the superiority humor of, haha, I'm going to laugh at terrible things happening to, to people, as opposed to... Yeah sort of embodying that position yeah I'm not yeah, sure yeah, yeah. yeah that's an, and that's you know in theory right game empathy machine etc like it's meant to be something that games are good at although they're not that good at it most of the time <laughs> somehow seem to do it better a lot of the time yeah yeah but they've had longer to figure it out so we won't uh, we won't be too hard on games <laughs> we'll get there you should, point. Uh, sorry, you should tell a joke either at the uh, the start or the end of your uh, podcast. That would make a lot of sense to me. Oh my god, we <laughs> we probably will. Good. I I, I think. Do, do you want me to tell a joke now? I'm so terrible. Like we could just get some canned laughter and then you can uh, you can throw it in afterwards. <laughs> uh, there we go. The... <laughs> Use that. Um, to, to my, my muted co-hosts, have I, is there anything else that either of you would like to ask or do you feel like, okay. Yeah. My, uh, my small child is still not in the house, so I do. <laughs> cool. Um, I just, we talked a lot about the digital games you made and when I was last at those design meetings with you, you were also talking about making a more analog game with the call robot. Um, I was oh yeah. If you view any oh, differences around designing humor for like a digital experience versus humor for an analog experience. Huh. Uh, I I, th I suspect that the short answer is I haven't thought about it enough, and I didn't make I didn't ever finish that game. That was that was funny. I need to. Uh, I think I did. I never finished it just for technical, sad technical reasons. I assume what well, to me what was funny about that game which was a game where you would use your phone to call uh, a number and it would <laughs> it would it was a robo voice that would pretend that it couldn't hear you basically um, so it was like you had a bad connection to a robot and it was like hello is anybody there etc 
uh, which I thought was good. I guess it, it works in a distinct way. It's, it works in a on a distinct platform, really, right? It's not a game. It's it's a comedy vehicle uh, in an automatic phone answering system. So it has different connotations and different contexts that people bring to it. It's still leveraging that same basic idea of something that doesn't work the way that you want it to. Um, and again, like I guess maybe if we're talking about the superiority thing, like maybe a lot of what I'm interested in, if I did want to tie it uh, back to that theory, is about positioning the player on the other side of the power spectrum um, yeah. to react against you know the obvious power fantasy version of games where everything's at a minimum is totally fair uh, and normally is not even is not even fair and is biased towards the player. But yeah, that's yeah. A, it's a good reminder of that game though. Thank you. All right. Call it so a game. I, I call everything a game. Shouldn't do no, that. That, game. that was great. That was a great highlight of those design meetings, for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a good idea. I'll get back to it. I will do it. That was our interview with Dr. Pippin Barr. Thanks again to the Tag Lab for supporting this series, and thanks to you for listening.